Yo, Mike check. Yo, Mike check. Mike check, Mike check, Mike check. You trying to get in the booth? Nah, I don't feel like spitting this morning. It's too early. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, we having friendly banter, man, because I know this guy personally. Uh, he's a, a friend of mine, and I'm proud to say you're a friend of mine, but I'm really proud of the things that you're doing. Welcome to the Boys and Girls Club of Delaware podcast. I'm Blake the Brain, and I'm here with a very, very, very special guest, uh, Mr. Corey Priest, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I mean, tell the people who you are. My name is Corey Priest. I'm the Community Engagement Specialist for the Delaware Department of Justice, the Attorney General's Office. Do you just code switch that fast? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, look. I know we got. I know we got to stay professional here. It's it's, it's it's tough for us, man, because we we literally grew up right around the corner from each other. Um, I grew up on on Pine Street. You grew up on Jessup Street. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we used to ride the bus together. We went to Brandywine High School together. Uh, we used to crack jokes on each other every day, every day in the morning, man. Every day, it hasn't stopped. And we're like grown adults, <laughs> like married with children and everything. We're still cracking jokes on each other. Um, but we went to the Boys and Girls Club, mm-hmm. uh, both of us. And I mean, first thing first, before we get into uh, your story, how important was the Boys and Girls Club for you growing up? You know, the Boys and Girls Club. Brown's Boys and Girls Club in particular was very important for me because when I first moved to the neighborhood from South Bridge, you know, the projects in South Bridge and moving to 23rd and Jessup, you know, I really didn't know anyone, you know, so I really had to earn my stripes, you know, and so going to Brown's and Boys and Girls Club is where I, you know, I balled at, hung out, you know, I met people who ordinarily I wouldn't have met if I didn't, you know, um, go to the Brown's and Boys and Girls Club, you know. And so it was important that I can go somewhere, someplace, and feel safe, secure, um, and have fun, uh, but also meet people that I knew I was going to have long-lasting relationships with. So it was important for me to kind of be there during that time, you know, the young teen, young teen years, and, you know, um, it kind of shaped how I, how I was going to grow up and, you know, the folks who I hung around. Absolutely. Uh, listen, this is... We have so much to, that, that we could talk about. I mean, we even went to college together. I forgot about it. Right. We went to Delaware State University together. And which kind of is going to lead to the story. But right now, you're doing some phenomenal mm-hmm. things within the community um, with the Department of Justice. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now. So I'm the Community Engagement Specialist for the Department of Justice. Uh, and so what I do is bring people together, bring people and resources together in some of our uh, vulnerable neighborhoods across the state, not just in Wilmington or Newcastle County, but as far as Sussex County and Delmar, you know. Um, and so we found a need to address issues before they happen, I suppose, right? So when you think about the Department of Justice, you think about the prosecution side, you think about investigators and things of that nature, right. um, and that's after someone has committed a crime. You know, they go through the prosecution side of the criminal justice system. And so they brought me on to kind of address, you know, reentry efforts. You know, how do we resolve cases through reentry efforts rather than saying, hey, you know, this person needs X amount of years in jail when really they, we know they need the help, the cognitive therapy, the, the treatment, the mental health, the substance use stuff, you know. Um, so my role there really is to embrace pre-entry. Like, I love reentry, but pre-entry is where right. it's at, right? How do we keep people from going into the criminal justice system? So, you know, we have various events. Like, I'm doing a back-to-school resource fair next week at um, 
Helen Chambers Park on the 19th. And so we're bringing resources uh, for school-aged children and their families. You know, um, I do empowerment walks, walk the communities and just listen to people. And as they talk, we respond. You know, we walked the east side uh, several, several, several times, like four, four, five, six, seven times. And then it was like, hey, there's nothing for the kids to do. So what we did was bought the resources to the kids. Right, right. You know what I mean? So we kind of respond by listening. You know, um, and you know, the only reason why I'm there is because you know my story and my background and the things I've experienced, and um, they felt the need to hire me. You know, um, which was pretty dope. If they hired you, somebody get you a job. <laughs> it was in high school. You brother couldn't find it. No, I'm kidding. Hey, I'm kidding. Nah, that's good. That's good. I mean, like you said, they, they you know they hired you for your story. I mean, you have an amazing story, a um, whole re- redemptive story. Um, and we can kind of dive into that, but before we even go there, I see you out here. You out here? What they say? Shaking hand, kissing babies. I see you out here. You making moves, man. You just met the president like a couple of weeks ago. Look, we got together a couple of weeks ago. He he jumped a jumped a he dropped a humble brag. He was like, I was like, yeah, where you meet the president at? He was like, man, where I meet the president at? What, what event was that? I was like, oh no, what you say? I can't remember what you said. Nah. I was like, what you do last week? He was like, I was at some event. Oh yeah, that's with the president. That's how it was. <laughs> that's how it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so how was that? No, nah, it was it's pretty pretty dope experience, right? So one Sunday I was just chilling in the crib. <laughs> Kid you not, don't know some real stuff, right? <laughs> and I was chilling in the crib, and I got a phone call like seven o'clock from the White House. Like so, it's a two o two number. I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna answer that, right? On a Sunday. On a Sunday. Right. So I picks up. They's like, hey, this is such and such from the White House, and I'm like, they're like, we want to invite you to this this uh, uh, Joe Biden's address on voting rights. Um, what do you think? I said, absolutely. You know what? Well, I can't pass that up, right? Yeah, and so it's Tuesday. I'm like, are oh, you calling me on a Sunday for a Tuesday event? And was um, it down in DC? It was in it was in Philly. It's in Philly. It was okay. at the Constitutional Center. Right. And um, man, get up there, man. And um, so we so I get up there, and they were like, hey, you're not on this list. It was like three lines you can go into. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they played me, right? <laughs> <laughs> So I get all here feeling suited and booted, right. and then I'm like, "Hey, they're like, hey, you're not on the list." I'm like, "All right, cool. We're gonna figure it out because y'all, right. y'all, y'all got, you know, y'all got me here. Right. And they're like, "Now nah, you supposed to be on this other list." I'm like, oh, "Other man. list?" I said, "What's the other list?" They're like, "Now nah, you're gonna have like VIP access." Oh, humble brag again. I mean, like, and I'm right. just saying. Nah, I got you. Know, okay, I got you. you know, so, so we get in there and they're like, "Hey, you know, we it's it's like seating area," and you know, I'm like. I'm like, like really, like really, like three rows from the president. Wow. And then, um, you know, he's giving his speech on voting rights. I'm big on voting rights, right? You know, as as a, as a person who's real, real uh, my, my advocacy is around reentry, empowering Black and Brown communities. You know, empower my people to be great. You know, so it was only fitting that I be in this ev- be at this event because you know they're compromising our voting rights. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I was just in awe. But then, because for some reason or another, Blake, everyone's coming to me like, "Who are you?" Like, <laughs> I'm like, "No, I'm not. Close. No, I'm not Cory Booker, right?" My name is Cory, but I'm not. I'm Corey not Booker. I'm Cory, but I'm not Cory Booker, right? You know. Um, but it was it was a pretty surreal <laughs> experience, right? Um, and you get to see you know some folks from Delaware. You be spreading love because Delaware is in the building. 
You know, right. um, you get to see, I saw Free, Freeway, Philadelphia Freeway, and I seen him at two events that week. So I was like, yo, it's like, it's meant to be. And he right. has a great, great, great message and story too. But then coming around, like, you know, Joe Biden's here, President Biden's here, and I'm like, he shook his hand. He, he, I said, Corey Priest. And he, Corey Priest? And it was like, man, you don't really know You're me. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but but literally, I, I, yeah, I suppose they vet you out and they're like, hey, Corey Priest had been in the building, or whatever how it was. But the guy makes you feel like you guys know each other. Like, right. really, it's, it's like the third or fourth time meeting him. And every time it's like, you, you you really know me, like it seems like anyway. Right. But um it was it was a pretty dope experience to be there and to um just listen to the message and spread the message that we can't have our voting rights compromised. We gotta get out. Our black people need to vote, you know, get registered to vote, you know, and, and um, you know, create that change there. Absolutely. So yeah. so so being that close, being in a room with those movers and shakers and the president, um, like you said, your third row, everybody kept asking you who you are. Who are you? You're mm. Cory Booker, if y'all don't know, he was, he was actually, he's a politician. Yeah, he's a senator, and, out, of senator out of Newark, New Jersey. He thought he was going to run for president. I mean, y'all, y'all might have seen it. Um, <laughs> Cory Booker. You're Cory Booker. That's, that's still hilarious <laughs> to me. Being in that situation, being in that room with, with these movers and shakers, like, did that inspire you to... Like want to keep going with your fight? Did it, did it inspire you to try to go to the next level, wherever the next level will be for you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, inspirational, right? Um, just because just coming where, from where I come from, like been home for ten years, right, from incarceration, and even to be in that space, or even ask be asked to be in that space, is pretty pretty phenomenal, you know. Um, but it, it just brings it all back to perspective. Because when I was in jail, I told people I was going to be your advocacy. I was going to be the advocate for you guys. And, you know, when I came home, that's what I did. It was, you know, how do I empower people to be great? You know, and me being in that in that space gives others the beacon of hope that they can do it too. You know, um, I've never thought, I would have never thought I'd be in this, in this, in this role, right? Um, being asked to, to, to be a leader in, mm-hmm. you know, amongst my people. And... You know, I, I take that, I don't take that lightly. I take that like I'm supposed to take it and, you know, and I do it with grace. You know, I, anybody else could be doing this stuff, man. But, um, you know, I feel as though it's my calling. I feel as though there's a lot more left to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel as though there are a lot more people who can walk these paths, you know what I mean? And how do I be the beacon of hope for them? How do I... How do I? How do I grab? They grab my coattail and we ride this wave together. You know. Yeah. Um, I think our young youth need to see people um, in this space like me, like somebody aspire to be. That's not a basketball player or or entertainer or a musician that can feed my family through advocacy and empowering others. You know what I mean? Like, really, if mm-hmm. I didn't go to jail, I don't know where I would be. And, and speaking of that, the, the go to jail aspect, that was going to lead into that. But oh, my fault. so so if, any, if, if nobody didn't didn't know that you went to jail, they'd be like, "Oh, what? What happened? <laughs> Let's go back there." I mean, like yeah. you said, you you know, you've been out for ten years. You went to jail. Um, we was going to kind of go into that. Um, tell us a little bit about in just that situation because you know, when, like I said, we grew up together. We were friends, and when I found, out, I was like, "Corey, what? Corey in jail?" Like I, I didn't see. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't see you as a person that would go to jail. Now, granted, anybody can go to jail for anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we all know people's situations, right. et cetera. And when I, I was like, what? 
like that. No, that's my guy. I'm like, what? What for? So tell us a little bit about that situation. What you were incarcerated for? Yeah. And 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 we're gonna dive into that because that's so important to your story. Because you know, my main thing is failures, failures and goals, and how we make mistakes and how we can use that mm-hmm. to to fuel it and to and to build upon that. But talk about about that, like you know, that situation. Yeah. Um. So I was arrested. 2008, December 5th, right? Um, 2008? Yeah, 2008. And um, so they kicked in my door. They arrested me for trafficking marijuana, uh, 65 pounds, um, a couple other things. So I pled guilty to a trafficking, one one count of trafficking marijuana, right? Uh, So in 2008, well, I guess a couple years prior, you know, I got into the weed game, uh, selling, selling weed throughout the state or whatever. Um, what made you now? This is fresh off of your degree. Did you finish Dell State? I didn't finish Dell okay. State though, so it wasn't it wasn't fresh off my degree. I actually left Dell State in about two thousand and six and started working at the post office. Gotcha. And um, you know, one it was it was crazy. It was crazy. It was a crazy opportunity. I'm gonna just call it an opportunity that you know I've never smoked weed though. Right. Which is crazy. I never. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I was like, what? Clear. I've never smoked yeah. weed. It wasn't it wasn't my thing. You know, so um, it was not, hey, I have some pounds a week. Can you get it off? You don't have to give me no money today. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know I know everybody. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so that's how I led. Like five pounds led to 10, 10 led to 20, and, you know, and it was just, it was moving. The thing about it, though, was it was a point in time where I was like, man, I got to get out of this. Right. Because I can't, you know, it was getting too, it was getting too big, right? Do you feel like too, the intuition? Oh like yeah, absolutely. Spider okay. senses was was there. Like they coming to get me soon. That's how I felt, and I felt that for like the two weeks prior to getting booked. I just felt it. It was like ah, they coming. I just don't know when. I don't know where they coming though. And December fifth, I was on my preparing to go to the Poconos. I can remember the day. I heard them just coming up the steps. I said, they're here. They're there. And looked over the balcony because I was going to jump over the. Jump off the second floor balcony and just gun it, but it was a bunch of police down there. I was like, "No, nah, I can't even run." <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, "I can't even run," so I just surrendered. Right? I just got on the ground. Heard him hit, hit the door once, and I was like, "I'm just get on the ground" because I know they're coming in with the keys and all that. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was a transformation. I was like, "All right, what am I going to do now?" And I know I'm going to jail. Because my mentality was, if I get caught with this, I'm going to get this amount of years. And I'm cool with that. That was a crazy mentality to think. But I was cool with the two years I felt as though. Because you was making money. You was like. It, yeah, it was the risk. I was, I was, I was okay with the risk. Right. You know what I mean? If that, that's the sick no, that thing. Right? Yeah. I was okay with the risk. Um, and so. Go closer to the mic, by the way. And so I, I pled guilty to uh, one count of trafficking. They actually charged me with two counts and some weapons in the house and all that. Um, and so I just played guilty. I knew I, I there wasn't no loopholes I can get around and none of that stuff. And I was like, I don't mind with the deuce. And um, but they offered me a plea for thirty months. I'm like, wow, thirty months? Why you guys are giving me six months past the minimum mandatory? Minimum mandatory uh, is a statute for certain charges that you have to spend that amount of time in jail without good time or any of that. So that's a minimum mandatory of two years. Uh, and that was a trafficking charge at the time. And so, you know, I get to court, uh, 
July 20th. But in between time, I was on my priest road to redemption. I don't know if you remember the T.I. road to redemption. He's on yeah. the TV doing yeah. the road to redemption yeah. and all that. So, yeah, so you're out on you're out on, I'm out um, on bail. Out on bail. Yeah. And that was December 5th. December 5th. And then you didn't go back to court until July. July 20th. July 20th. Okay. Yeah, so I bailed out day before Christmas, December 24th. And I was like, damn, what am, what am I going to do? Like, what, what is going to be my new identity? A lot of people didn't know I, I sold drugs. A lot of, man. I, myself included. A lot of people didn't know, yeah. right? I was just moving. Um, but I had to figure out who I was going to become afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was a deliberate, intentional purpose, right? Who, I, who You know, so I created a reading program at Pulaski Elementary. I had a group of students, um, the Gifted Hands Reading Group. I took those students to, um, to see Dr. Ben Carson. That summer, they kept pushing my date back. I kept asking them to push my date back because I needed to go see the, uh, Dr. Ben Carson because the, the students, the kids, right. was going to love it. Now, we read his book, then we go meet him. So those were the ideas, my ideas. I said, yo, we're going to read this book because he was, at the time, was like, like my idol, the first black neurological brain surgeon. Right. Conjoin twins, separate them, boom, boom, boom. And so... Um, Took the kids to him, man. They were just in heaven, bro. Like, it's crazy part about it. I ain't even had no L's. I said, we're going to Baltimore. I put them in the car. Right. Like, facts. And so, um, <laughs> <laughs> yo. You had no license and you just drive the kids around. Drive the kids around. Like, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Yo. But, we ain't going to talk about that. We ain't going to talk about that. That was some other yeah, 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 stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it, was, it was all good, though, because the impact I had good. on, these, on yeah. these kids, man. Um. You know, just because I wasn't always right doesn't mean that they can't experience what right is like. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, and then, you know, I get to court on, on on July 20th, and I'm like, so ask my lawyer. I said, Yo, there's no way she can knock six months off this time. He was like, Nah. At this moment, she's just an administrative assistant. Mm. I said, oh, oh, all right. You know, so I get to court. Mr. Priest, do you understand these charges? I said, yes. Uh, are you accepting this plea you know, without prejudice? Yes. Da, 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 da. They're like, well, why are you guys are giving this man six months past the minimum mandatory? And they, they came up with, you know, Mr. Priest is responsible for X amount of pounds of, you know, marijuana in the state of Delaware, da, 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 da. There were guns involved, a lot of money involved, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no, nah, I'm going to just give him two years. Wow. And I knew at that moment, I was like, yo, somebody's watching over me, right? You know, uh, God is watching over me. He knows that, you know, she can't do nothing about the minimum mandatory because that's a that's legislative yeah. legislative issue, you know. But she could do something about this other six months y'all just tacked on, you know. Um, so the prosecutor did their job, judge did their job, her job, and, you know, I was just there to, you know, ride the wave, you know what I mean, a wave that I didn't like. Then I go to jail, and it's like, okay, this is home for the next – Few years, you know what I mean? Like, what am I going to do? Who am I going to become? You know what I mean? What What is yeah. my purpose? Yeah. You know? And I knew jail couldn't be um, purposeless. I knew it couldn't be uh, uh, non-useful. You know what I mean? It had to be useful and purposeful for me. You know, so I realized that I can ball, so I'm on the pie balling. You know, I always had commissary. I can read legal mail, read people's mail who couldn't read. I was like the advocacy on I was like the advocate on the pod. I was like the the therapist on the pod. I was I was almost everything, right? And I didn't talk about the game. I ain't talk about what I did in the streets. I ain't, I didn't talk about none of that because it didn't matter. Right. 
you know, what mattered was we're all in here not with our families. We're all in here either fighting cases or sentenced or, you know, we're all here in the desperate, desperado mode, like trying to figure it out. And so survival mode, survival too. mode. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely survival mode. And that's where I was just like, you know what? I'm going to make it real, real purposeful. Not for me, because it's going to be therapeutic for me anyway. But how do I be that beacon? How do I be that hope that people can come home and be successful? How do I, you know, put myself in position, you know, to be their voice? You know what I mean? And and that's what I did. I was like, all right, you know, I'm here. So jail is like a small city. You know what I mean? Jail is just is, is a microcosm of what a community will look like. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your different sides of town. People, you got people who clicked up and linked up. You got your store. You got your jobs. You got you got all that stuff there. Right. So I was like, I want the best jobs. Best jobs came with commissary. You know what I mean? I worked in commissary, worked in booking and receiving, worked at the loading dock, and I knew every job was going to be better than the next one because it was going to allow me opportunities. So once I get to the loading dock, that means I can go outside and cut grass. That means I can be a a trustee, a building worker, a mandatory worker. You know, so that's what I did. I said I want the best jobs. I'm going to hang around the the right people because the people that's going to get you jammed up. You right. know what I mean? So to hang around the right people, change the mentality, the thought process, you know, and knowing what your purpose is. You know what I mean? So I didn't look at jail as punitive. I looked at it as God put me here because other people need me here. You know what I mean? For mm-hmm. for for a better, uh, you know, a better outcome in the future. And that's that's that was my whole mentality. You know what right. I mean? Don't get caught up in nonsense and just do what I need to do because if I can't get it right here, I can't get it right at home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's that was my mentality. And I came home and I was like, look, I want to be the best at whatever I'm doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I don't look at jail as, I don't look at it as something punitive in my life. I looked at it as a necessary evil, you know, and. Always, yeah. yeah, no, I, 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 I feel you on that because I always say that, you know, sometimes in life, you know, things are happening for you, not to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I listened to this one podcast and it was talking about, they said this person described heaven as a bunch of people walking around saying, "Oh, that's why that happened. Oh, that's why that happened." Like you said, I mean, you. Oh, oh my gosh! I mean, we can dive into just so much. Even going back to the, the intuition, I always talk about people with the intuition. I always say God is always talking to you. You just got to be able to hear it. And I have learned that when you feel like you're supposed to do something, like, 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 even if you don't do it at first, if it keeps bringing up in your intuition, like something's about yeah. to go, yeah. about to happen, and you better do it. It happens all the time. You know what I'm saying? You'd be like, say, you'd be like, man, I need to go move my car. Right. I know I'm going to get a ticket. You look out, you don't get a ticket. I know I need to move my car. I know I'm about to get a ticket. You don't get a ticket. I know I need to move. Got a ticket. Got a ticket. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, I mean, plenty of situations. Yeah. But, you, I mean, I love your rise. I mean, redemption. I always think about, like, Jamie Foxx and mm-hmm. his, his redemption. But you, you know, like you said, I mean, so much was going on while you was probably there. So many thought processes. Um, I know we're gonna be able to dive into that today because we probably want to do a part two. But when you when you got out, you took off basically. Mm-hmm. Really quickly, tell me about how when you when you got out because I actually ended up doing I ended up doing his wedding. Did you meet your wife beforehand? Yeah, I met my wife in two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah. Stuck with you. Yeah, stuck with you. It. Came yeah. on out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you guys got married. Um, you got a baby on. You got. You have a son, mm-hmm. and you have another baby on the way. Yep. In September, yeah, congratulations, yeah. brother! You start your family. You get yeah, it going. Yeah, yeah. Talk about when you got out. How you? I don't even know how you even want to describe it. Like 
your career, how you kind of winded up into that, becoming the the voice mm-hmm. of reentry and and what you built over there on Jessup Street. Let me talk really quick. Tell me about that. So when I came home, like I say, I knew who I was going to become when I came home, right? I was I was I was the guy on the on the pod. Like people just came to me for information and all that stuff, you know. So I knew I was coming home to be a helper, and so I didn't know what kind of helper I, I was. I was one of my wife's a LCSW social worker, and I was like, hey, we can create this husband and wife agency. That was my plan. That wasn't her plan. Right. So she was like, oh, I ain't, I'm cool. I ain't doing that. <laughs> so I was like, all right. She said, hold up. She stopped the brakes on that joint. Real quick. That, that was cool. And so, um, and so, we're, so, I got a job at Connections. And it was helping people with mental health and substance use disorder, medical issues. So, you know, um, all these, you know, comorbidity issues and things of that nature. So, you know, um, it was the best job because it was like people who were casted aside now mm-hmm. are getting getting the services they need. It was the best job for me with no book work or nothing. You know, um, I didn't have a degree in that stuff. It was just my life experiences. And so... Um, did you feel at that time, because like, at the time, you, you, you know, you were fresh out. Mm-hmm. Did you feel... Did you empathize with them more because of the situation that you went through? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely. It was, you know, non-judgmental. It was, it was almost like the situation I just left. Because they're in in a in a in a, in a um, you know housing unit you know they're in a residential unit that they can't just go home like right. I couldn't just go home when I was in jail they can't just go home you know and they need really the supports and services that are afforded to them you know and I was there to be that for them you know so it was a pretty dope experience bro and um, because when I was in, when I was in a program, they wouldn't allow me to go to Connection. That's a whole other story. They wouldn't allow me to go to that agency, and uh, and I kind of forced them to allow me to go. And I came back with a job, you know. Um, so I was grateful for that opportunity, you know. Um, and it was so that's a whole different story for a whole another day, though. But it was it was it was a a story of resilience, you know. Mm-hmm. What I mean, you don't you can't tell me no, you know. And then um, reentry came calling, you know. What I, I surrounded myself around great people, like people that was going to help, you know, see me through and help me succeed. And so when reentry came calling, I was like, oh, this is right up my alley. Never knew. They wasn't talking about reentry back in the day like that. Right. You know, and they was like, yo, I need you to be a peer. Can you be a peer in reentry? You know, um, they need to see somebody that's doing it, you know. And there's levels to peers. I mean, I was just starting out, you know. So it was allowing me not to even go back to the game. Because I can't live this contradictory life. I can't live a contradictory work life or a contradictory uh, home life. You know what I'm saying? And so the peer stuff was like, wow. You know, y'all allow me to go back into the jails to do this work? You know what I mean? They, like when I went back into the jails to start doing groups called Getting Motivated to Change and um, the Inner Circle, and I'm just talking to guys that look like me, act like me, know where I came from. I know where they came from. I, know, I might know them, their brother, their sister, or whomever. You know, and they can't pull the wall over my eyes. And so I used to always keep it 100 with them because that's what they need. They need somebody to hold them accountable to the message. Like, I would ask somebody, like, yo, what, what do you want to do when you come home, man? I just want to make money. I'm like, oh, yeah, that means you just want to sell drugs. Right. Yo, Priest, why you say that? Because you'll do anything for money. money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you'll do anything. For, if that's all you want to do is just come home and make money, you'll do anything for it. Yeah. Tell me what you're passionate about. 
And so when I'm talking to them on a gut level, um, you know, uh, on a gut level basis, they respect it more, you know what I mean? And so when reentry came calling, bro, I just knew I was going to flourish. I just knew because a lot of people who I was around at the time couldn't get those stories, couldn't hear those voices because they wasn't credible enough, you know what I mean? They was higher up on the level. And now it's like, wow, Corey, I need to hear stories of reentrance. I need to hear stories of people coming home. And they would come to me for those stories and several others in the community. But I was doing that work at the Achievement Center. Reentry was calling you. Yeah, so reentry was calling it, and you know, doing that work there, it gave me credibility, right? Um, that the folks over at the in these facilities, Howard R. Young, James T. Vaughn, Sussex Plumber Center, Women's Treatment Center, WCI, you know, you don't know who's watching you, bro. Like everybody's watching, and everybody wants that opportunity. Um, because they, they, they don't come that often before. So after you can get that felony and the one or two or the three and the four and you in and out, in and out, people kind of cast you aside, you know, and they knew that, you know, I wasn't going to be the one that's going to cast them aside right? because we need that second, third, fourth chance, you know what I mean? Um, you know, especially with what's going on in our communities and families and, you know, the systemic stuff that goes on, the structural racism and all that stuff. You know, when we start talking about it and exposing it a lot, people start understanding it a little bit more, you know. Um, and so being credible in reentry only means being credible in other places like Legislative Hall or, you know, when, when, when agencies like the ACLU or uh, um, Delaware Center for Justice or, you know, some of these agencies um, are, are, you know, wanting to advocate for policy change and changing the laws. You know, they call on certain people. You know, and I felt I felt as though it was an honor for them to call on me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I was putting in the work. You know, you can put in the work and do the work, but when other people start recognizing your role in this in this space and they start calling upon you for, you know, your voice, that was pretty dope. You know what I mean? I yeah. knew I was I was going to play I was going somewhere with it. You know, then Governor Markell called and said, Hey, can you introduce me at a bill? Like that was in two thousand and fifteen, I believe. 2014. So I'm in. I'm smiling, cheesing in front page of the paper with my license because I, you know, you can't spend license um, for a crime that didn't consist of a motor vehicle. You know, so that was pretty dope. They suspended my license for three years for my charge. So I came home without a license. Right. You know, uh, thought it was unfair. It's very unfair. But that was the law. Now it's changed. Right. You know, um, and so. Fast forward now, today, working at the AG's office, like, you know, it's the first time first time in the country, and I'm going to own it, that the same people that prosecuted me now and I work for and work with, you know what I mean? Like, that's pretty dope and pretty deep, right? Because now they get to hear my perspective and right. story and, you know, know that everybody that comes home from jail is not, you know, um, not criminal or Com- not or habitual, or, criminal habitual or, or always going to be criminal or scum of the earth or whatever adjective they want to put on us or label they want to put on us, you know, you can come home and be whoever you want to be. You can be great and you can have people follow your path and and your footsteps. And, you know, I'm doing things now. Like, I'm like, wow, this is happening. Like, you know, speaking to law schools all across the country or prosecutors all over the country talking about um, fair and just prosecution or, you know, innovative ways to prosecute, you know, alternatives to incarceration, like 
those things never really existed. Right. You know, um, especially in house, like, you know, going to the, you know, Superior Court judges retreat, getting a standing ovation. You know, hey, we never gave anyone a standing ovation. Like, right. you know, and it's just being proximate, you know, getting close. You know, Brian Stevens says it all the time, you know, meeting in the margins. And so, you know, I, I don't take this stuff lightly, bro. It may seem like it's easy to me. It doesn't seem like work right. because it's a passion and it's a calling, you know. Right. Um, and that's where I'm at with it, bro. Like, I, I mean, when we talk about the pursuit of happiness, I'm happy, bro. Like, and that's because I'm doing what I want to do. It's allowing me to feed my family, mm-hmm. you know. But it's also allowing me to be the voice and be the hope and be the be be that person that um, these folks in, that may never come home are living their lives through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Okay. Listen, I'm like, like, so my next question would be for for you. Like you said, I mean, you're doing so many things in this journey. You're happy, which um, congratulations, man, on all the success with it, man. You know, we always support each other. You know, we crack jokes. We always support each other for <laughs> real. God, for, yeah. Now that people look up to you now, right? People who are who just came home. You're doing this. You know, you're helping with reentry. How do you handle certain situations? Where someone is struggling with reentry, mm. you know what I mean? Like personally, like mm. how do you, like, do you look at some? Man, this is a real question because we we got to think, mm-hmm. we got to ask ourselves real questions about our community where mm-hmm. we grew up at, because you can't save everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody can't go. Right. You know what I mean? Everybody is not going to be able to go. How do you handle certain situations where someone might not be able to change? Mm-hmm. And how do you know who can change? Do you know that? Like, can you feel it? Like, you know, sometimes when you see, like, a little kid in middle school or, like, elementary school, and I'm not, we're not judging, but we fall into categories. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can be like, oh, I can see this kid's going to be amazing. Or you could, oh, I can see this kid might be a little troublemaker. Right. Like, when you can have some people who come out from reentry, like, do you see those things? And, and how do you handle them? Yeah. So, I try not to be judgmental, right? But you see some telltale signs, right? Um, and, and I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Um, from from a judgmental perspective, I always tell people it's it's a difference between being judgmental and being um, and being observant. Mm-hmm. And 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 like I said, I don't judge people. I mean, I'm not gonna be mm-hmm. look at the situation for what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. So how do you handle those situations? Like you said, you're not judgmental. But yeah, because you know, I think everybody has the capacity to change, right? Everybody has the capacity to evolve and be be different than they were yesterday, I believe. Mm-hmm. With the right situation, right? You know, when when people started doing this work, they'd be like, hey, just get that guy a job and he'll stop committing crimes. That's a fallacy. That That's Absolutely. not true. You know what I mean? Um, and so people, you know, I, I still know people who are still in the mix. You know, they'll tell you everything. And, you know, I just, I meet people where they're at, right? Some people aren't ready yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, some people are ready, but just don't know how to get there. You know, some people don't have the right people in their corner. You know, so I just take people for what they show me and who they are. And if they're not ready today, they might be ready tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, and that's just that's just what it is. You know, I've had some people, you know, who have been stuck in their ways for years and years and years and years and years. And then one day it just clicked. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I need help. I need I need to go to 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 rehab. You know, and then go to go to rehab and come back and be a whole different person. You know, um, there are some people you might say oh, I don't know about, and I, and sometimes I, I say that too. I don't know about. They're just not at that point where everything's clicking for them to right. overcome those obstacles. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, and a job might be it for somebody. You know, and I just say they the low risk people. I deal with all high risk, mm-hmm. mainly like. They are really experiencing some traumas, some some tribulations, some family issues, some substance use, mental health, and you know, um, I think the biggest change come from uh, enhancing the lives of high risk people. You know what I mean? So um, you might have some people who aren't ready yet. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean they're not going to be ready tomorrow. Right? You know, you just don't know it, or right. you know, you just don't know it. You know what I mean? But if they come and ask for this, the support and resources, you give it to them. You know what I mean? In hopes that something's clicking. Yeah. Listen, man, I know, I know you got to go. <laughs> I w- like I said, we could probably talk for, for hours and hours and hours. But before we get out of here, I want to ask you one question. You know, my main thing is 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 overcoming obstacles. to love people who, who overcome things. Mm-hmm. And you have overcome so many obstacles in your life. Mm-hmm. And you push forward. What was the hardest part in this journey for you to overcome hmm. it could be on any level it could be personal it could be you know anything I don't know what was difficult you know what I mean I, you know being where you being in this you know for me it's dynamic right you know it's not like a singular issue it's dynamic you know um i think the the most difficult thing is um not settling you know what i mean not settling sometimes you want to be complacent where you are and be because it's comfortable or you know how do i reach a different different height you know um and Who's coming? Who's who's gonna be my 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 supporters? Who's gonna be there? Like I have a lot of great people on my team. Um, I'm not sure if I met the greatest person yet. You know what I mean? I, I try to go about my life every day wanting to meet somebody different, new. Um, I always see these quotes called "No friends, no more friends, and no more no more this, no more that." Or I got it. No new me. friends. No new friends. Which makes no sense. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that, yeah. you know, because maybe my next friend, you know, other than my wife, she's my best friend, but maybe my next friend is my best friend. I'm not sure yet, right? But I got a great team, and, and how do I keep advancing and staying relevant, right? It's difficult, um, but I. Do you have struggles with that? Those thoughts, like when it comes to like success, like because I think like when you, when you, when you are. When you're going for something and say you get it, right? And then we always ask the question, well, what's next? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because when you become a certain type of person where you become um, pursuing of a goal and a yeah. dream or whatever, right? And you yeah. reach it and it's like, okay, well, what's next? Yeah. Like, do you have thoughts of, like, of that? Like, I do. I do. I do. I do. Fear um, of complacency or the fear of fear of success, as you know, as they call it. Because, you know, once you get to a certain point in life, it's like, okay, what do I do next? Certain people want certain things, and it's like, all right, now you got it. Now what's up? 
what do you plan on doing next? Right. And, and may, maybe they don't know what to do. And they actually kind of have a fear of actually reaching mm-hmm. that point because they don't know what they'll do after that. Yeah, like, yeah. do some of those thoughts kind of run through your, man, your you brain? Know, I just, for me, I've been at the AG's office for, um, since 2019, April 2019. And one of my fears is that in my mind, there's a lot more work to be done, right? And there's other opportunities that might be on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know who can replace me at work, to be honest. Humble brag. No, to be honest, bro. No, I'm like, you. It takes a special person to be there. You know, um, I'm credible everywhere, in the streets, at work, any board meeting I'm at, any committee I'm on. You know, you have to be credible to um, to be respected. On both sides. On both sides. From, from you know the streets. I mean? Yeah. And from, you know, right. both sides. And so my fear is that, um, is the work ever going to get done there? I want to change the culture of prosecutions, you know what I mean, of the criminal justice system. But I need more people like me there, too. You know what I mean? Because in order to change the culture, you got to bring the people who are affected by the egregious system to be there. You know what I'm saying? the same mindset. And so I need people there that's on the same wave. You know what I mean? Black and brown people inside of our courtrooms. You know, um, and and so that's my fear, really. Um, I love where I'm at. I ain't even going to hold you, like, because... There's nothing like it, you know what I mean. There's nothing like it, and so if I don't know if I answered your question, but um, in this journey there was no fear, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. There was thoughts, just thoughts on how to how to make it happen, but there was no fear. I like I didn't know I was going to be here, and when you're doing great things, great things happen unexpectedly, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I want you to be a part of this or. Can, can, can you give us some information or advice on who we should bring along? And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah I can go on, bro. Like, I know, I know. And I was just like, look, man, I didn't, I didn't put food on a lot, a lot of people's plates or a lot of people's tables in our state, bro. Like, like literally made sure people ate at night, mm-hmm. whether it was get them a check and whether it was get them, getting them benefits whether it was linking up with the Food Bank of Delaware and, 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 and addressing some of these, uh, um, you know, food disparities in, in, in these certain neighborhoods and throughout the state. Like, I, I made sure a lot of people ate at night. Right. And, I mean, I don't take that lightly. That's a pretty dope, dope thing to uh, uh, accomplish. And, I mean, and um, so, yeah, it's it's – I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. I, I, I try not to be like because I, I know where I came from. Man. I yeah. came from Southbridge Projects in 2013, Jackson, and, and it don't get no, you know, the belly of the beast. Right. You know, you got you got to you got to be special to maintain in those areas. You know what I mean? No doubt. And um, and to be, I, I've never changed. You know what I mean? I've never I've been the same person since I can remember. Right. You know and. The fabric is always going to be there. You know, the fabric is always going to be there. I'm never going to change who I am and what I stand for. And, 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 and I hope that when people, and I don't consider myself 
you know, um, I don't know. I just do what I do. You know, some people might say I'm successful. Some, you know, um, I just know where I wanted to go. Mm. And I know who was, I, I needed to know who was going to be a part of my dream team. Like this is 90, 92, you know what I mean? Um, I got the dream team with me and they're going to make sure that I must be successful, you know, but I'm always adding pieces. You know what I mean? The dream team just ain't stopping 92. They won the gold this year. You know what I mean? This is 2021. You feel me? Like New players. New players. You know, new coaches. New eyes, new ears. You know, so that, that's where I'm at with it. And how can I be that for somebody else? There it is. You know what I mean? Listen, man, I appreciate you. I appreciate your journey. I'm glad I'm, uh, I'm able to clap for you mm-hmm. instead of crying for you. And what I mean by that is I'm glad I'm able to see you go on and, and be at certain events and I'm able to clap for you when they say yeah. your name rather than cry for you at a funeral because you turned your life around. Appreciate that. Um, you made it happen. Ladies and gentlemen, Corey Priest, the redemptive, I don't even know what you were going to call it. <laughs> Whatever you want to call no, it. No, but I got a quote though, right? Go ahead. And I wanted to say this on, you know, um, if what you went through in life doesn't give you the capacity to change the world in extraordinary ways, you haven't found your purpose yet. You have to overcome. You have to be resilient. You have to be determined. You have to be strong. You know, you have to be laser focused on the change you want to see happen, not just in your life, but in others. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's 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 one of, that's one of my quotes. Um, if what you went through in life doesn't give you the capacity to change the world in extraordinary ways, you haven't found your purpose yet. Find your purpose. Listen, man, I'm glad you found your purpose, man. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Boys and Girls Club podcast. Corey Priest has been our guest. I appreciate you guys, and we're signing off. He got to go back to work. He got to go save some people. (laughs) Go save him, brother. Appreciate you guys.